Welcome to Episode 1, Season 1 of the Interior Creature in Communion podcast. My name is Jacqueline Michelle. I am so honored that you're here. Before we launch full steam ahead into this hopefully first of many seasons of the pod, I thought it might make sense to share a little bit about my own journey with my birth charts and explain a little bit about the way that I use the tools of human design, the gene keys, and astrology in my work, which is a practice I call birth chart alchemy. The rest of this season's episodes won't be solo episodes, hence the title of the podcast. (laughs) Instead, I'll be sitting in communion with amazing members of the Interior Creature community, having deep heart-to-heart and soul-to-soul conversations about their charts and the ongoing work of deconditioning, of taking the epiphanies they've experienced through chart study and bringing those epiphanies into their lived day-to-day experiment around deep embodiment of their design. I'm also going to chat with other experts in the field to keep you up to speed on what's happening in the cosmos this year. We're going to chat about Saturn leaving Aquarius and moving into Pisces and what that means for folks that are wrapping up their Saturn return or ramping up to start theirs, as well as what if that transit means like for the rest of us in the collective. We'll also be digging into the major gradual transit of Pluto moving from Capricorn into Aquarius and then back into Capricorn and then back into Aquarius that we'll be navigating for the next few years. So stay tuned for that. But before we get there, I thought it made the most sense to share, again, a bit about my own journey toward becoming a birth chart alchemist and to introduce you to the practice of birth chart alchemy itself. My journey toward building interior creature has had more than a few twists and turns over the years. I fell in love with all things esoteric and mystical at a fairly young age. I've always been drawn to the unknown for as far as I can remember. As a kid, I lived for ghost stories and Bigfoot documentaries and loved studying the science behind the supernatural and the unexplained. My parents are both big readers and some of my fondest memories are of our weekly trips to the library where I would start in the kids section and then, you know, inevitably make my way as sneakily as possible to the spiritual slash metaphysical section. I uh, thought I was being really slick. I used to try to hide my books on like astral projection and ESP and tarot under the babysitter's club and Sweet Valley High, although like I was fooling no one. Like the librarian used to wink at me when I checked out. Anyway, I was gifted my first tarot deck when I was 14. It was the Aquarian tarot, if anyone's curious. Um, And I fell down the astrology rabbit hole soon after. Now, I'm an elder millennial, um, born in 83. So I was probably high school, I think, before we had a computer in my house with an internet connection. So my knowledge of my own astrology chart was like limited to my sun sign for quite a while. Uh, because at that age, just with the resources the library had, I could not make sense of how to cast my own chart using the ephemeris. But knowing what I did know about my sun sign, I devoured anything I could find about what it meant to be a Pisces. Now, At the same time, though, I was also raised in the Catholic and then in the Episcopal faiths, and my dad is a professor, and he's super anchored in data and statistics, so I was really unsure as a kid of, like, how okay my interests actually were, Um, hence my, you know, sneaking around the library. Um, It's funny, as an adult, I've had that conversation with my parents about, like, did they know, and they were both kind of like, yeah, we knew, we didn't care, we thought it was funny. So anyway, totally, totally no sneaking required, but, you know, you get suspicious when you're, like, nine. Um, Anyway, reading was also a massive escape for me because I was also bullied as a kid. Not for my witchy proclivities, like I kept those hidden in the broom closet until at least my 30s, but for economic reasons, actually. So 
I grew up in Baltimore in a working class part of the, the city. And then we moved to a super like white collar neighborhood when I was in fifth grade, specifically because of the schools that my brother and I would then attend. Like my parents were really into like trying to get my brother and I the best education possible. And it was a big demographic shift. So in Maryland, um, at least at the time, and I have to look to see if they're student, still doing this, school districts were uh, financed by the uh, like income levels of the community. So it's like property taxes, income taxes, et cetera. So there was like a big gap in like school quality, school funding before, between like different, literally different neighborhoods had different qualities of schools. And I know that's not, you know, uncommon across the country. So Anyway, when we moved, it was a giant demographic shift. Um, I was like nine or 10 at the time. And I remember looking around and being like acutely aware of just the lack of racial and cultural diversity in my new school compared to my old one. But also like everyone was so homogenized looking. Like this was the mid nineties. And when I was in elementary school, all of the cool kids literally had this uniform of like a Gap sweatshirt, an Abercrombie hat, an LL Bean backpack with their name embroidered on the back. And all those things literally just weren't in my family's budget at the time. My dad had just gotten his PhD and he was working on teaching at a university. And my mom had just gone back to school to get her CPA. So they were kind of playing the long game financially, which like now as a you know grown ass woman, I totally respect. And my brother and I always had exactly what we needed. We were fed, clean, clothed. We had money for field trips. We never felt like we were kind of lacking anything, but my parents were really smart about like when to splurge and when to save. Like we never went out to dinner. We didn't do like, my dad was a big couponer at the grocery store. Uh, but at nine, like the kids in my class, like absolutely kind of could clock me from a mile away. And there was a girl at my table in fifth grade who started calling me trailer trash and bringing me like shampoo and conditioner packets from her mom's salon because she said I was dirty. She was spreading rumors about me. I just became acutely aware for like the first time in my life that who I was as I was like wasn't okay. In my human design chart, I have both my self center and my heart center open. And learning this in my early 30s was a revelation, right? So that bullying continued through middle school and a bit into high school. And I was in survival mode. And subconsciously, I had leaned into that mirroring, magnifying aspect of those two centers, desperate to figure out like who I needed to be and how I needed to be so that people would like me. And unfortunately, as the years went by, that became my default setting, even though I didn't have the language for it at the time, right? So in college, I majored in theater because singing and acting and dancing had always gotten me positive attention. And it was within those communities I found what at the time felt like acceptance. But acceptance isn't joy. And I ended up leaving the acting program midway through because my first experience was sacral burnout. I was drained and tired because, again, it wasn't joyful. I cast about for a bit, trying to figure out like where else I could find acceptance, and I applied for Teach for America. Since I had moved in fifth grade, I had gotten like really fired up about educational inequity and the opportunity gap faced by public school students in economically disenfranchised areas in in the United States, and I decided to teach for that two-year commitment while I magically figured myself out. Didn't happen, right? (laughs) My subconscious mirroring game was still really strong, and I fell into a 15-year career in education almost by accident, not to like, you know, not take the blame for my own actions, but like it did kind of feel like I thought I was doing what I was supposed to, right? As a book nerd, you know, I I found I actually have an aptitude for teaching kids how to read and write, which quickly turned into a career of teaching teachers how to teach kids how to read and write. And whereas I totally found that part of the work fulfilling, 
my open self and my open heart centers were still absolutely calling the shots and I was outsourcing decisions left and right without realizing that that's what I was doing. I didn't have the language of human design yet, right? So someone told me I should take this next step in my career, what, in my career? Great, perfect. They seem really sure it must be the right move. A manager tells me they need me to take on more responsibility. Great, my open heart center totally committed to way more than was reasonable or responsible or like what I had the bandwidth to do. And literally this cycle of just outsourcing my decisions just netted out in complete adrenal and autoimmune crash in my mid-30s because I was working 80 hours a week and just traveling constantly. And it just, it was not a reasonable or feasible amount of work for any human to do, right? But again, my open heart, my open uh, self had gotten me there. Ended up with this total adrenal autoimmune crash, left me glued to my bed for about six months. And it was during that time that I found human design, right? Literally at my lowest point, I was like prone, <laughs> laid out in my bed, that's when I found human design. Um, at that point, I had actually quit that high-paying, fancy corporate job that had me working 80 hours a week and just traveling constantly. But once I quit that job, I realized I had no idea who I was anymore outside of what I had done for other people. And now that there was no one to mirror, it was just me, I felt so lost. So I kind of reached back into my mind for the last thing that really brought me joy, right? And I channeled that little eight-year-old me in the library reading books on aliens and astrology and decided to devote my waking hours to finding myself again and finding a way to find myself again. And it was through listening to metaphysical and spiritual podcasts that I was introduced to human design and the Gene Keys. This episode of Interior Creature in Communion is sponsored by well, no one yet. We are a baby podcast. It's our first episode, but I would love to welcome on board anybody who's interested in sponsoring, who maybe is a small business owner in the spiritual or wellness space. I would love to be able to share the genius that is you and your brand and your offerings with the amazing Interior Creature community. So if you're interested, email me at interiorcreature at gmail.com to learn how to sponsor an upcoming episode. Now, back to the podcast. Once I fell down the human design rabbit hole, I devoured anything and everything I could get my hands on about the system and about all the ancient wisdom traditions that informed it, and I was so blown away by what I found. I felt so seen for probably the first time in my life. And here with this, it was the system and a language that I could use to make sense of my past and gain clarity in the present so I could move toward the future in a super intentional and aligned way for literally the first time. And so at the time I was doing my study, so much of the information was being presented in this like jargony, dense, opaque way. And I deeply felt that a system this transformational should not be gatekept in that way. So in 2018, I launched my blog, Interior Creature, with the intention of making human design practical, actionable, and accessible for literally anyone with an internet connection who wanted to learn alongside me. And at that time, literally every chart I pulled, friends, family, exes, former colleagues, celebrities, the system like didn't miss. I started giving free readings for interested strangers and kind of like honed and refined what I wanted my transmission of the system to be and sound like. And soon after, Interior Creature made the leap from blog to business. And within a year, I started selling readings and teaching classes, all while still using human design to do the work with what I found in my own chart. And I have to tell you, the results have been life-changing. 
And since I started a human design shadow work and embodiment practice with my own chart, I've ended an abusive relationship with alcohol. I've overcome that endless cycle of overwork, then burnout, then more overwork, then more burnout. I've learned how to stop outsourcing my decision making, and I've started to really reconnect much more deeply to my intuition for probably the first time in my life. I've deepen my relationship with myself and with the people that I love. I've released my need to control how I'm perceived. And I've also rediscovered my own personal connection to the universe, God, spirit, love, source. And through my practice, I have been so blessed to help folks find gold in their own charts in order to deepen their own human design experiment. What you're going to hear on this podcast is a practice I call birth chart alchemy. Now, traditionally, the practice of alchemy was all about combining different metals to try to create gold. And that's how I view my alchemy. I combine the wisdom of human design, the gene keys, and astrology together to try to create the most dynamic and deep picture of your soul. My work with human design has evolved over the years as I've gone even deeper into Richard Rudd's work with the gene keys, poured over multiple translations of the I Ching, and deepened my own understanding of natal and transit astrology. And now all of those systems, as well as other modalities and teachings and spiritual practices, inform how I work with clients. I know some folks are very protective of human design and like to stick as close as possible to the way the system was initially shared, and if that's you, I might not be the practitioner for you. My natal sun, moon, and mercury are all in Pisces, and my conscious mercury is in gate 63, and I'm an investigator martyr profile with oh so much first light energy across my gates, so my transmission of the system is grounded in curiosity and compassion. It is all about specificity, nuance, depth, and I'm as interested in the systems that came together to create human design as I am in the system itself. Another thing, we're not going to talk a ton about type on this podcast. This might be a bit controversial, but your type is the least interesting part of your design. Don't get me wrong, learning about your type and strategy and certainly your authority can be incredibly helpful when you're first starting out. It's definitely the first thing you want to experiment with. When you're first starting out with your design, understanding your type is helpful because it gives you a general idea of how your connection to your physical energy works. And your type dictates your strategy, which is how you maximize those messages your intuition is sending you to help you make the most aligned decisions. But unsurprisingly, there's a lot of restrictive and downright disempowering guidance out there about type and strategy. And much of that guidance neglects to actually connect you back to your authority, which if you have the word wait in your strategy is what you're waiting for before you begin to take that aligned action, right? So much of human design content, especially on social media, is super surface level. It's almost like being a glaciologist, but only examining the part of the iceberg that's above the surface of the water. But you deserve better than that. You deserve to get wet. You deserve depth, you deserve nuance, you deserve specificity. So type and strategy, they are the literal, actual tip of the human design iceberg. And here on this podcast, we're getting in our scuba gear. We are going deep sea ice diving to the bottom and studying the whole damn thing. So here in my little corner of the human design internet, we are all about honest self-inquiry and radical self-ownership. We're also all about expansive and empowering guidance and depth of information and richness of interpretation. So if you're down, Over the course of the season of the pod, I want to introduce you to a way of working with these systems that is going to net out in so much more bang for your buck. This season, we're not only going to work with the body graph, but we're going to be looking a lot at the rave mandala, another view of the chart, which shows you how your energy is distributed thematically across the 12 zodiac signs, as well as the four seasons of the wheel of the year. If you're a reflector, working with this information can also help you leverage your lunar cycle, and I'm going to show you how to do that in a coming episode, so make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening. 
We're also doing deep analysis of the gates, and I work with both human design's interpretation of the energy as well as the gene keys interpretation, which can be a little bit different. So human design tends to present the energy of each gate as a bit more fixed, and sometimes the placement is even described as being in exaltation or in a detriment of the energy. But the source material for the gates, those 64 hexagrams of the I Ching, they're all about a range of energy, a balance of yin and yang. And each hexagram is seen as an opportunity for personal and spiritual contemplation and growth and development, which is why Richard Rudd's interpretation of the gates uh, in his book, The Gene Keys, really speaks to me. The terminology you're going to hear me use is a bit different than Rudd's though, so I thought I would provide just a quick translation for my fellow Jinkies nerds. In the Jinkies, Rudd usually begins his discussion of a gate, which he calls a Jinky, with the shadow of that energy. I call the shadow the fear frequency because that felt a little bit more resonant with my own experiences and the experiences of my clients over the years. Now, this fear frequency is a spectrum with self-abandonment at one end of the spectrum and self-aggrandizement at the other. When we're in the self-abandonment energy of the fear frequency, we tend to make choices or get trapped in patterns where we neglect our own needs and our own intuition and over-prioritize others, often to the detriment of our own self. Rudd calls this energy the repressive shadow. We're repressing the self in favor of others. Then way at the other end of the spectrum is self-aggrandizement, another fear-based tendency rooted in feelings of scarcity, where we get a bit narcissistic and prioritize the self, but in a way that alienates or is to the detriment of other people. Rudd calls this the reactive shadow, right? And both ends of this spectrum are really rooted in a false belief in our separateness from one another. Just because we identify with having patterns that tend toward one end or the other of this fear frequency doesn't mean that has to be what we choose moving forward. We can choose to remember our interconnection with one another at literally any time. And when we remember that our separateness from one another is an illusion, we're able to step into the frequency of compassion, which Rudd terms the gift. We're in the frequency of compassion of a gate when we're making choices that balance consideration of self and consideration for others because in this new frequency, we deeply understand at a soul level how interdependent we are on one another. And with this new internalized belief, we start moving from a place of compassionate connection. And once that becomes our new default setting, then we're able to step into the pure divine love frequency of the gate, which Rudd calls the city. When we're in this divine love energy, we don't just intellectually understand, but we've internalized and integrated what oneness really truly means. And we're making choices from that place. We're aligned, we're integrated, we're hydrated, and we just radiate love. Real talk though, most of us don't live in the divine love frequency permanently, but once we get the hang of the compassion frequency, we get to experience this vibe a hell of a lot more often. So in birth chart alchemy, we're going deeper into our design than just type strategy and authority. We're honoring the wide spectrum of energy that each of our placements hold using the gene keys. And the final layers of birth chart alchemy are natal and transit astrology. As my fellow nerds know, the entire basis for both our human design charts and our hologenetic profiles are our astrological natal and gestational birth charts. The natal chart being a snapshot of the sky at that moment of our first independent breath, and the gestational chart being a snapshot of the sky roughly three lunar cycles before we exit the womb. In astrology, each zodiac sign governs 30 degrees of the sky. Gene keys and human design just take that 30 degrees of the sky per zodiac sign and subdivide it among a collection of either five or six gates, with each gate getting roughly five to six degrees of that part of the sky. 
So understanding the energy that each zodiac sign carries, understanding the houses that our placements are in, and deeply understanding the planets and the energies the planets carry, all of these together, you're telling a much larger story about how our gates and our channels and our centers are presenting in our lives, and that's before we even consider conditioning. Most of the conversations that we, we're going to have on this podcast are going to be really centered around our gate placements, our incarnation cross, our profile, our lines that our gates are present on. And so I wanted to kind of just visually show you. So for those of you who are watching, you're going to have a visual. Uh, for those of you who are listening, I will describe it because I do remember that podcast is an audio medium and not a visual medium. But what we're going to be looking at are, first of all, the gate. What are the various interpretations of the gate? What line is that gate on? And what does this tell us about how that gate is kind of presenting? Uh, we want to also think about the planet that activated that gate on that specific line. What energy does that planet carry? Uh, we're going to be digging into the zodiac sign that governs that specific gate and the house that zodiac sign sits in within our natal or gestational astrological chart. So it's kind of looking through the lens of those five different aspects, pulling them together. That's birth chart alchemy, right? So where I'm getting the information for all of this, um, I use for the gates and the lines, obviously human design, the gene keys, as we've discussed, I'm getting more into Karen Curry's quantum human design, like her transmission, the system is evolving as we do, getting us ready for this kind of new paradigm. And I also love, again, different translations and transmissions of the I Ching. Um, I'm going to share a couple on our interior creature Instagram uh, this week, as well as the interior creature and communion Instagram. So definitely stay tuned for some book recs. If you've got an open head center or you're also a first line, uh, proceed with caution. Um, anyway, so the planet, I look to, again, traditional human design interpretations, astrology, mythology, and then for the zodiac signs of the houses, again, it's rooted and anchored in Western astrology, but I'm open to all different kind of transmissions and interpretations of the 12 signs. I'm also really nerdy about psychological astrology. And also understanding, again, the mythological stories that form the backbone of, of some of the ways that we talk about these planets and these placements. In addition to that, because I'm such a giant book nerd, you're going to hear, uh, you know, teachings from Buddhism or Kabbalah that I've studied up on. Um, you, there may be some tarot references. I'm also really into quantum theory and the holographic universe. I'm not by any means an expert, but I do really enjoy uh, discussions of like the zero point field and how our energy is all interconnected and that kind of search for a unified theory. So you're going to hear me talk a little bit about that on the energetic scientific level, which also, again, is a lens through which human design and the gene keys are meant to be kind of viewed. Um, I'm also really nerdy about goddess traditions and paganism. Um, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit witchy myself. Um, and I've also done a lot of work with the Course in Miracles. So you're going to hear it's kind of an eclectic um, hodgepodge of, of spiritual teachings and things. But again, it all kind of informs how I look at the chart, especially when it comes to how we handle the conditioning aspect. So that's the part that I'm really excited to kind of share with you in Interior Creature and Communion because I can get nerdy about all these things on my own, but conditioning is incredibly personal, right? No two people have the same conditioning. Even identical twins who have gone through the world in like, you know, really parallel paths, at some point those paths diverge and the conditioning differs, right? So that's where you come into the equation. So in every conversation I have with each one of my guests, I'm going to be modeling for you how to ask those deep probing questions that are going to really unlock your shadow work and deconditioning process, kind of bring all those habits those tendencies to the surface so we can get aware of them, we can get honest about what our, our you know limiting beliefs are or our kind of narratives are that really aren't serving us so we can put down the things that are holding us back and step forward into the things that are you know empowering us forward. 
That's it for this week. If you want to dive down the birth chart alchemy rabbit hole with me and you cannot wait till next week, I totally got you. Here are a few ways I can support you. First, head on over to interiorcreature.com and click on the link on the menu bar that says new to human design and the gene keys. It's a little question there. And you'll be taken to a giant, ever-expanding click path full of articles and videos and resources on all things human design. And if you're ready to unpack your birth chart one-on-one, -on -one, I would also love to work with you. So you can click on the link that says book a reading on that same menu bar for a complete list of readings that I offer and I guarantee you you'll find one that meets you where you are in your human design journey. And finally, for those of you that are deep in the experiment, but you want some support moving for all your epiphanies from your brain into your body and your behavior, you are invited to join me in the Karmic Studies Elevator community. It's like a club and a course had a baby. So like a, a course a corb? I don't know. I'm still workshopping that. <laughs> anyway, inside the elevator, you're going to have access to a highly individualized curriculum to help you make even deeper meaning of your birth charts. And we'll regularly join a group integration sessions with other members of the community for thought partnership, clarity, and communion. You can find out more at interiorcreature.com on that same menus bar by clicking on the Karmic Studies Elevator link. And finally, I would love to connect with you on social media. So you can find us at Interior Creature and at Interior Creature and Communion on Instagram. Instagram, on YouTube, we're at Interior Creature, and on TikTok, new, not a lot there yet, but I'm learning how to use TikTok, uh, we're also at Interior Creature. Again, and all of those are all one word. So that's it for this week. I cannot wait to meet you again in communion next week. Until then, have a beautiful, beautiful week.